There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. This is the agenda. No, it's not. It's the grill. I uh, don't know what's happening in the agenda at the moment, but it, it's a fluid situation. That's all I'll say. You're listening to The Grill. More of the biggest sports stories now. On Dubai I 103.8. Uh, we're going to kick off with thoughts from Dana White ahead of staging events uh, during, well, during these troubling and challenging times. Yeah, health and safety isn't something that just popped up on our radar with the coronavirus. It's something that we deal with every week for the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, we will make sure that we take care of everybody just like we always do. I'm, I'm not I'm not giving the public and the media, all kinds of information on what I'm doing. But let me say, I'm not acting like some crazy rebel out here and, you know, with the coronavirus and all this stuff. I've done everything that I've been told to do. When the government said you can only have this many people, there were only that many people. When you can only have 50 people, there were only 50 people. When it got to 10, that's a little tough for me to pull off. You know what I mean? So we stopped. We did everything that we were told to do. Um, I've been in quarantine in my house since last Sunday. And, uh, you know, I followed all the rules, man. I've, I've done everything that, that we've been told to do, but this fight's going to happen. UFC President Dana White giving his thoughts there, um, infuriating a number of people uh, out uh, listening into that at the moment. Polarizing opinion, um, as he always does. I don't, think he's ca- I don't think he cares much. Dana White is who he is, and he's unabashedly, he's unapologetic in what he wants to do. And he is determined to stage UFC 249. A bit of context to that event. That will feature a main card involving the unbeaten Khabib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson, the man that many believe holds the Midas touch when it comes to ending Khabib Nurmagomedov's formidable unbeaten record in the UFC. It is a massive, massive fight for UFC fans and as things stand we don't know where it's going to be held we know that Dana White intends on holding it on April the 18th and it will be of course behind closed doors can an event of that stature can a fight of that stature be be held in front of no spectators I'm delighted to say that joining us on the line is the foremost expertise in MMA in the UAE the founder of TK MMA Fitness a very good friend of the show it is Mr Tam Khan and I'll start by saying Tam a very warm welcome to you and I hope you and your family are all well yeah thank you Robbie I hope you guys are well I respect you guys for doing this show this kind of a climate we have right now what do you, what's your reaction to, to Dana there, Tam, in terms of his... He's bullish. He's just going ahead. He's trying to figure out ways in which UFC can basically buck against the trend that the entire world of sport is taking now, which is to go into lockdown for the safety of the public, for the safety of the athletes that are taking part. Dana White has taken a very different angle. When you saw this, how did you react? Um, I think Dana White's stuck in a kind of catch-22 situation. I think financially with all these cancellations it's going to be hurting them a lot because uh, we don't know how long this is going to take it's i mean forecasters are saying could be a year could be till spring 2021 we don't know and i think with all the cancellations up to date and this fight's already been cancelled four or five times before um i think he's just going to go ahead i think he's going to do it internationally i actually think he's going to do it in Abu Dhabi behind closed doors with um a certain ruling family are going to accommodate it which i've heard on the grapevine that's why Khabib's back in Dagestan right now which is a three, four-hour trip. And uh, the rumours are Abu Dhabi are going to host it in a private um, facility. Wow. So, um, because, because in America, Trump's made a law where no more than 10 in a room, like Dana White said. And I mean, 10, that doesn't even cover the referee, the judges, the announcer, and the commentator, as well as the coaches and the fighters, let alone the production. So 
I think they'll do it here. I don't think they'll do it in Russia. Russia's another place, Chechnya. There's, those were other rumours because there's no cases of coronavirus there so far. But I think during, I mean, there's a dictatorship there and other certain reasons. I don't think it will make political sense. But I think Abu Dhabi is the favourite and I've got a good feeling it will be there. I think uh, Dana will risk it here. I think he'll do it without fans. And I think he'll just have a production team, maybe judges in a studio, like an Olympic scoring system. I think he's going to go ahead with a big... And I think pay-per-view-wise, it will smash records because... What better time to have a pay-per-view when everyone's at home? There's no sport on TV, and the biggest fight in UFC probably of the year in the last three, four years, far Conor McGregor is going to be shown. You know what, Tam? You're absolutely spot on, because let's call a spade a spade here. Dana White is a very intelligent man. He has built UFC from the ground up. He is seeing an opportunity here, isn't he? Whilst the world goes into lockdown, while we are starved of sport, here is an opportunity. Khabib willing to do it. Tony Ferguson willing to do it. That will be... There's no Conor McGregor in the the mix here, but that is going to be a pay-per-view monster, because you will attract other fans of different sports. Why? Because it's two gladiators and an octagon. It could smash all records. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, just the controversy behind them, like you said, having this event during this time, it's going to catch all media attention. Um, obviously, the UFC have strict health regulations. So they're going to uh, assess all the fires. They've probably done all corona tests already. They'll do it again. They'll make sure everything's sufficient. They'll have enough space they'll have I mean when there's no crowd they'll have no need for security backstage so they'll have like lax changing rooms everything can be done properly they might drop the corners to two people I mean you can do it if you want to you can make it like an amateur style setup but um, I believe he'll do it I think when Dana White says he's going to do it that means he's going to do it he'll either be there or even offshore or on a boat or like he does these shows to um, motivate the army you know sometimes he goes to army bases and does things on our battleships and things like that I mean he'll do it for sure and um my strong opinion is Abu Dhabi will be the one, I think, uh, due to Khabib's relationship with the ruling family. And I think they've got the accommodation, they've got sanitized, they've controlled the virus very well here, the government. And I think it's a perfect venue. It's kind of a middle ground from Russia and America. Um, if you've got the ruling family behind you, you can access Dubai easily, Abu Dhabi, through private jets, whatever. So that makes the most sense to me. They both want to fight and I think it's going to smash records. I think the whole world will tune in. Especially right now. What kind of spectacle will it be, though, Tam, without fans? Are they not, you know, you look at the atmosphere in these big fights and the walkouts particularly, that's what gets the, the hairs on the back of the neck standing up. That's what gets the goosebumps popping up on your arms as well. I mean, how weird is this going to be when they walk out to what is, to all intents and purposes, an abandoned arena, a, a derelict octagon with one referee? It's going to be bizarre, is it not? It's going to be bizarre, but... In a way, it's going to be fascinating because you're going to actually hear every punch land. You're going to hear the smack talk up loud. You're going to hear the heavy breathing. You're going to hear the corners talking. It's going to be like no one's experienced before. So they'll actually appreciate the sport more. I mean, unless you've done it yourself or trained, it's going to be like a gym fight. And those are the most intimidating fights to have. Just no one's there to cheer. There's no pressure. It's just mano a mano. And uh, I think that will favor Khabib more than Ferguson because Ferguson thrives off energy, people. And with Khabib, he, I mean, he doesn't train with music sometimes. He's one of those kind of like old school guys. So for him, it will just be another like Sambo tournament. So it's going to be crazy. I mean, I'm still iffy with it. I think uh depends on the scope of the virus, how it's growing. I mean, we don't know how this uh, dangerous virus is going every week, every day there's a new announcement. But if it kind of stalls like it is in the UAE, which the government's doing a great job and they keep 
this lockdown well and uh, this isolation period well, I think they can pull it off. I truly believe. Yeah, I mean, just just to your point there, Tam, I mean, these guys have big entourages. It's, a, it's pretty difficult for them to social distance. Obviously, the very nature of MMA, it's a contact sport. You know, they're coming into contact with people. They're going out, presumably. Would you imagine that it's quite difficult for Habib and Ferguson to remain isolated at this time while continuing what would be considered a normal camp? Yeah, I mean, they are training. Uh, I follow on social media. I don't know how train in Dagestan, select a few partners. I know Ferguson's trained with Eddie Bravo, three or four people. They must have all been tested. They must keep it exclusive to those guys. They'll have measurements where they'll make sure everyone's tested. Everyone. I mean, there's these new 10-minute um, coronavirus tests, which are exclusive. I'm sure Dana White, having this relationship with Donald Trump, has access to everything. And uh, I, I mean, they're very uh, diligent in these things. So I'm sure everything's been monitored. Because Dana White, the last thing he needs is one of them to catch the virus and it will just ruin the reputation of UFC forever. So trust me, when, when I mean he's on top, he's probably got the best doctors and people monitoring this whole situation just to make it happen. So that aspect won't be a problem. Um, the training might be affected regarding the number of sparring partners, but it's still fascinating for me because it's just, I mean, I've never seen this in history. I think none of us have, ex- we've seen what's going on in the world right now in history, let alone this fight in a closed area, hearing heavy breathing, hearing the smack talk of Habib and Ferguson the announcer with no fans, the walkout with no people. It's just going to be crazy, but we don't want to see it. That's the thing. Everyone wants to watch that. Yeah, you're right, Tom. What it does is it adds a a new level of intrigue, I think, more than anything else. And the fact it is two incredible athletes stepping into the octagon. You've said it there that no crowd would favour Khabib. Make a case for Tony for us, if you can, because he's come back from that serious knee injury. I mean, he came back in record-breaking. He came back in months when an injury, the ACL was snapped, I believe it was. That normally takes 9 to 12 months. I think he was back in something like 5 months. Make a case for for him, how does he beat Khabib if this fight does indeed go ahead? I mean, anything can happen. I think the whole kind of crazy build-up could affect Khabib without travelling to Russia last minute. The This will affect his weight cut, um, being the favourite, the pressure if it's another derby. While Ferguson's kind of a, like a loose cannon, he kind of trains alone if you're watching. He's mad. He, he does his own workouts in his garage all year round. Um, he's used to this. He's very elusive himself. So for him, this camp won't be no different to what he usually does. He hasn't got a huge entourage, Tony Ferguson. Khabib will be different. He comes with a huge crowd. He has an entourage. He has documentary filmmakers watching him. It might affect him, but when it gets in the ring and the bell goes, it will be like sparring. So the pressure of the crowd will be less. But, I mean, pay-per-view-wise, I mean, Khabib, for me, he's on fire right now after his last fight. He seems untouchable, but anything can happen. What Ferguson's dangerous with the elbows. If he cuts Khabib, let's see how he acts. Ferguson's good off his back, Khabib's good on top. So every aspect of the fight is going to be very, very interesting. And the gas tank of Ferguson's superb, where Khabib's only weakness, if you have one for him, is later on in the fight, the last few rounds, he does kind of tire because of his pace. So it's very, very interesting. But, I mean, I can't wait. I hope it goes ahead because we need a bit of cheering up right now and nothing better than this. I'll be tuned in, that is for sure, Tam, if it does go ahead. Listen, I've got to get your thoughts very quickly on something else that happened that's significant in the world of UFC on Thursday morning over in Albuquerque. John Jones arrested yet again, potential uh, driving under the influence, potential, I believe, a firearm was involved. He's obviously done a few things that, that have warranted that arrest. And what I'm reading is that the UFC is going to respond with, with a pretty lengthy ban. What, what's your expectation when it comes to John Jones, who, of course, just recently beat Dominic Reyes in that title fight? Yeah, I mean, what else? you have to strip him. I think for the sport, they need to evolve. 
I mean, kids look up to you. You can't be having that kind of behavior. Uh, already the, the sport's stigmatized and uh, that's the last thing you need. Um, I feel sorry for the guy in a way. I think he has a problem. He has an addiction. He needs help. He's got the wrong support network because he's always happening to remind me of a young Mike Tyson. So much talent, but he's always getting himself in trouble and this could really affect his career. Um, I mean, from sources, he's, he's an alcoholic. Um, he's addicted to drugs. He's always DUIs and he still wins. Imagine the guy clean. He's so much talent, but I think the UFC are going to have to strip him. They're going to have a lengthy ban. Um, it seems like unless John Jones is busy with fights, the same as Conor McGregor, they just go loose. I think success sometimes affects people at a young age, and uh, those two didn't have the right support networks. And it's an unfortunate thing to say because he's such a talented guy, and he's actually a nice guy in person. But everyone has their demons, like Tyson Fury had, but only a few can recover in the right way. So, I mean, I'm not one to judge, but... I think he's going to have a harsh, harsh uh, ban purely because at this time of the climate with the coronavirus, he was in public doing that in the first place, which is crazy when it is a lockdown. So I think Dana's going to be uh, quite upset. Something's going to happen for sure. Last one from me, Tam. Let's bring it back home if we can, because of you, of course, you are the owner, TKMMA. There's a lot of people in isolation, a lot of people at home. That's the message. Stay at home for the safety of yourselves and for loved ones and your neighbour and your community. What can people do, Tam? You are a man that clearly looks after yourself. I've seen you. You are a big bloke. You are someone that uh, clearly works hard. What's some advice for people to keep fit and keep active at home? Um, the simplest equation is this, um, burn more than you put in your mouth. That's all I can say. Whether it's jumping jacks, push-ups, enjoy it. Don't stress. Don't follow Instagram so much. Don't look at these perfect bodies. It's all fake. Just do what pleases you. And I mean, the most important thing is to be happy to be around your family because unfortunately this virus has made you realize to appreciate life more. I mean, it's affected me more than anything. My gym shut. God knows how long it will be shut for. It affects my livelihood, my finance, but I'm all for it and I support the decision because for me, the bigger picture is everyone to be safe. So I think if everyone thinks like that, we will get somewhere. But we can't be selfish in this time. But I mean, try to eat smart, cheat on the weekends, whether it's squats, burpees, push-ups, make challenges with your colleagues at work, maybe put some social media videos. There's so much content out there now on YouTube of trainers and professionals giving workouts and there's no excuse. And I mean, now's the time. I mean, I saw a meme online. It said... <laughs> When there was no quarantine, everyone's on their phone. Now there's quarantine, we've got more fitness professionals than ever. And it's great to see. <laughs> I think people are realising, let's get fit. So uh, the main thing is for me, fitness or not, I just hope everyone's safe and uh, we can kill this uh, dirty virus and get back to normality. Wise words indeed, Tammy. Uh, listen, mate, it goes without saying, uh, stay safe, fella. Stay safe uh, to you and all your family, uh, all your loved ones as well. And hopefully, as you said, we can come together and beat this thing sooner rather than later. Tam Khan, for all the time now, thank you very much indeed. Pleasure, guys. Stay safe and uh, good luck with everything. Thanks, Tom. Cheers, Tam. You're listening to The Grill. On Dubai I 103.8. We are asking you to, uh, obviously, in light of social distancing, in light of uh, physical distancing, uh, as was mentioned in the press briefing a little earlier on by the Ministry of Health and Prevention, uh, we are asking you to also come together and support Earth Hour. Uh, it's been led by Diwa here in the region. More details coming in the next hour or so. In the meantime, though, we're talking sport. Taking a bit of a trip down memory lane. It's one apiece to these two at the moment. Uh, they're not getting any points for this one but we're going to throw it out there well I'm going to throw it into the mix anyway 20 years ago almost to the day Foe stopped by Earl Michael Hughes can't clear the first time nor the second time 
bent wide nicely by Mark Vivian Foet. Sinclair's cross over Cunningham. De Canio! Oh, I do yeah. not believe that. That is sensational. Even by his standards. Oh, take a bow, son. Take a bow. You are not going to see a better goal than this. Great ball from Foy. Even better ball from Sinclair. But that is just sensational. Outside the right foot. He's off the ground with both feet when he makes contact. Look at him. Up he goes. Oh, that is quite sensational. What a magnificent goal. A moment of striking perfection from Paolo Di Canio. Paolo Di Canio, 20 years ago to the day, uh, with one of the wonder strikes, one of yeah. the great goals of the Premier League against... Against Wimbledon. Well done. Neil Sullivan, that, eh? Neil Sullivan, who was Scotland's number one at the time, a man that was linked with Man United. Fine goalkeeper was Neil Sullivan. I still remember it as if, genuinely, I can vividly see it. Trevor Sinclair out on the right-hand side. His cross is a thing of beauty, and Di Canio gets up. The little scissor kick, and, and you hear Martin Tyler outside mention the boot, it there. Wasn't it? Outside of the boot, into the far corner, <laughs> and then he wheels away, wagging his I mean, just a thing. That goal, by the way, is easily top 10 in Premier League history. It is a thing of absolute beauty, that goal. He scored a couple of goodies, that's for sure. Um, Not everyone's cup of tea. He's got some interesting uh, uh, opinions on (laughs) that. Or the Rooney goal against City, which would you prefer? Oh, Rooney's goal against City. The overhead kick, Joe Hart, England's number one. Manchester Derby, Old Trafford, come on. Man City ain't. That, for me, make a very good case to say that's the best goal in Premier League history. The one that I personally... Bergkamp, Newcastle. Camp, Newcastle. Yeah. People say, did he mean it? Remember the little pirouette oh. around Nikos Dabby's ass? And then it's Shea given. He just does Dabby's ass, opens his body up and just passes it. You know it why it's that goal? It's because there are other overhead Head kicks. kicks yeah. that you cannot find another similar goal. Yeah, the Bergkamp. Unless oh, Bergkamp might have scored another one. But yeah. he did a great one against Leicester as well, didn't he? Where he took a ball, he basically plucked a, a 50-yard pass yeah. out of the sky, just plucked it out, stepped Filbert inside Street. the defender, and then right yeah, top Casey right Keller. far corner. That oh, was awesome days, well. eh, boys? Oh, uh, do you remember when the, up. Do you remember football? Do you, yeah, remember, yeah, do, was great. do you remember the game football <laughs> that they used to play back in the day? Oh, I'm getting football. emotional. Uh, let's get talk football. Let's continue talking football, uh, albeit in the Northern Hemisphere. Your mate, Sean, he's up in Stockholm, isn't he? He is indeed, yeah. He's a first-team coach, his O'Shea, formerly of the Nadal Sheba Sports Complex, right here in Dubai. Got his dream job, so he did. He's over in Stockholm, working with AIK Stockholm. For a bit of context, you can make a very good case. They are, without question, the biggest team in Sweden. They are probably up there with FC Copenhagen of Denmark, the biggest clubs in Scandinavian football. Shawnee's up there as first-team coach. Robbie spoke to him on off-script extra time this past week because, well, he's a first-team coach. He's in the coalface of football. You've said it there, Tom. We haven't had it for a while. We might not see it again and Robbie wanted to start by saying with the fact that the Swedish football the Elsvenskin is in effect a summer league they've been playing their cup the cup kicks off the season they hadn't yet kicked off the league but of course it's gone into lockdown what does all this mean and Robbie put that question to Shawnee yeah it's, it's a bit of a strange one for us it's obviously not not the same as, as England and Italy and Spain and, and so on but for us we've just come through you know two and a half months of really hard pre-season gearing up to the first game of of the league season, which would have been next week. Um, obviously, we've played the cup competition, which is part of our pre-season, and we got to the quarterfinals of that. And that's kind of where it all stopped. We were supposed to play that game last Sunday. That got cancelled because of, of what's going on. So 
we were kind of in the dark a little bit as to what we were going to do because nobody really knew you know what we were now working towards because we didn't know when the league or the cup was going to start again um they announced late last week that the cup will probably be played now on the 16th of may and then alsvenskan will start on the 6th of june so we kind of have something um you know to work towards now which which is good but at the moment as the rest of the world of football players are in isolation we're not training uh we've had to give all the players uh, an individual program which they can do at home so it's a lot of uh free weight things and, and they're out and you know jogging on their own and stuff but it's, it's quite difficult and when we first gave those programs to the players um, we thought that this was just going to last a couple of weeks, um, but then now that we know that it's going to be months rather than weeks, we've had to kind of change our approach with it. So it's a bit of a worry for us because we've come through, like I say, a hard pre-season where we've really conditioned the players and now we're kind of almost having to stop and then restart again in a couple of weeks' time. So we're having to deload the players um, instead of loading them. We're not trying to keep them uh, fit because this is this is their break now because when we start again, if it is going to be in May, um, we're going to train and play all the way through to the end of the year to make sure we can get European football done and the whole of Alsvenskan. So it's a different problem for us, but very strange for us as well. Sure. Understood. Absolutely, Shawnee. I mean, these guys are professional athletes, but it must be difficult mentally for them because they are so used. We've spoken about this a lot in the last couple of days. These guys, these footballers are so used to their routine and that that's what helps them keep a nice equilibrium and a nice flow, I would imagine. You know, looking from the outside, looking in, these guys are creatures of habit. They like to do things at certain times. When that is disrupted... How difficult is that kind of from a mental standpoint? Have you found yourself having a lot of conversations with the players to try and keep them on an even keel? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, the players are climbing the walls. Like you said, they're so used to routine and for that to be just taken away from them, is, it's killing them really. Um, Mike, as the fitness coach, in touch with them every day in terms of giving them programmes and what they need to do just to keep themselves fresh and ticking over and kind of maintaining the fitness they've got. But myself and Patrick... Uh, the other assistant coach would be in touch with different players every day just to make sure they're okay and what are they up to, what have they been doing. But it, it's also quite strange because we say they're in isolation, but in Sweden here, like the kids are still in school. So if the players have got kids, those kids are still going out to school. Their wives and girlfriends are maybe going out <laughs> and still working. So it, it's very strange. And they're not in full isolation, which right. from a health and safety point of view is a bit of a worry for us because we can't control who they come into contact with. But like I say, from a mental point of view, not training and, and not knowing when we're going to play football again and not being able to go on holiday like they would do when we normally have a break, it's um, it's a real struggle for them. Like they, They're messaging and calling all the time, like, can we just go to the pitch and do something? But unfortunately, you know, we're not allowed to because the FA says so. What's the current kind of prognosis, Shawnee? Is, is it for resumption sometime in the summer? I mean, we're, we're looking at a situation now where Euro 2020, for obvious reasons, has already been postponed by UEFA. Is the Ausfenskan still hopeful of a summer start? Yeah, they are. They, they hope that we can start the weekend. I think it's the 5th and 6th of June. Um, the, the Cup, they want to start the Cup uh, 16th of May. They say we're going to play this quarter-final against Malmo, but that will the, the Cup games, I think, will be played behind um, closed doors. But they're hoping that we can start Alsvenskan in June. Uh, all the clubs voted that they will not play league games uh, behind closed doors because apart from us and Malmo, uh, the other clubs couldn't survive um, if they didn't have any fans there. So that was that was made clear pretty quickly from the clubs and they all voted the same on that unanimously. So 
but at the moment, yeah, they, they've said June. Um, you know, if you follow uh, the news, we have to hit, you know, this curve that they have of how many people need to be infected before it starts to drop. We haven't hit that curve yet in Sweden. So it could be that that gets pushed back until July. But at the moment, they're saying June, so we're just working towards that. Mm. We can't do anything other than that of until, uh, until we're told otherwise, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird one to sort of wrap your head around mentally because while you're expecting further postponements, you've also got to get into that mindset of this is the date we're working towards. And I suppose it's a little bit better, it's a little bit clearer cut over in Sweden than it, than it is uh, in, in Europe elsewhere where you've got the Premier League, you've got La Liga, you've got Serie A left on a bit of a cliff edge here because with Liverpool all but champions. I think they're what? They're two games away from being confirmed yeah. champions. 25-point lead. I know Man City have only got 30 points left to play for. So Liverpool are champions, but honestly, you wouldn't believe the conversations and we've been having them at length, repetitively, just trying to figure out the headache that, that, it, that is the kind of, the, the concertinering of this season and obviously in, in trying to get things back to a, a kind of vaguely normal level, trying to, to, to avoid further disruptions down the road as we don't know how this thing is going to play out in its entirety. But got to get mm. your thoughts on, on uh, what the best thing to do is, whether it's to, I mean, surely, Shawnee, you're not going to turn around and say that the whole thing should be null and voided, are you? Because <laughs> Chris, Chris, real... Chris would be open to that idea, as you can imagine. Yeah, I'm sure. I saw a couple of tweets from Chris that he said maybe just uh, crown Liverpool champions, don't relegate anyone, and just bring Leeds and West Brom up. But it, it's a it's a real difficult one. Liverpool are all but champions, like you said. They only need to win two more games, and there's there's no way that they would lose every remaining fixture. But I think there's just so many knock on effects of this of who would qualify for Europe. You know, is it fair to relegate teams? That, that don't get the chance to play the, the remaining 10 games that they've got. Uh, they, for me, the, the Premier League are in a really good spot in terms of that all those games could probably be played behind closed doors because from the financial point of view, they don't need the money and people can still watch it on you know whatever TV channel they can watch it on. Um, I, think, I do think, though, that they have to play the games. I think it's the only fair way to do it. Uh, I don't think you can crown Liverpool champions. You know, if... If there was only three points in it between Liverpool and City, I don't think people would be as clear-cut as to say, oh, just hand Liverpool the title. Um, I don't know how they're going to do it, but I think for me those games need to be played. I think it's good that the Euros have been delayed until 2021, which I think gives a little Mm. portion of the summer for those fixtures to be played, like I say, behind closed doors. Maybe play twice a week and get them done. Um, So they still get a little bit of a break in the summer and then you can start the next season um, as normal. But of course, that's you know, an ideal, perfect world, if you like, um, or in my opinion it is, but yeah. you don't know how this infection is going to continue and, and whether that's going to be possible or not, because you're still talking about sending people to work, which you know it is for footballers, it is their place of work, and if it's not safe for them to go to the club because there's risk of infection, then we can't expect them to go back and play those games. This is The Grill on Dubai I 103.8. Just over an hour away from Earth Hour, you can do your bit by turning off your lights at 8.30 this evening. More details on that. Uh, you just heard about uh, Dubai Eye on one brand new show coming uh, to the station in light of the fight against COVID-19 and the coronavirus. That's been breaking news over the last few days. Uh, just before that, no shortage of breaking news, especially in sporting arenas. The signs are all over Tokyo, symbols of what was supposed to be a Japanese revival, a comeback crushed, at least for now. Tokyo 2020 organizers and the International Olympic Committee bowing to global pressure. 
pressure brought on by the novel coronavirus catastrophe. Memories of another disaster nine years ago, still fresh on many Japanese minds. 2011's mega quake, tsunami, and Fukushima triple meltdown. The Olympic bid in 2013 brought a surge of national pride and badly needed jobs. Japan invested tens of billions of dollars, new infrastructure, new technology. 2020 was supposed to be a banner year, a year now defined by a once-in-a-century global pandemic. We've overcome natural disaster, war, but things are different now. This will be the biggest challenge we ever face, says Shigeru Ishiba, one of Japan's most powerful lawmakers. He says Japan's aging population and shrinking workforce makes it much harder to bounce back. The Olympics are a cornerstone of Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's plan to transform Japan into a global destination, a plan to jumpstart the Japanese economy. Analyst Keith Henry says even a delay has serious financial implications. Basically, it's a service sector economy, obviously, with the railroads, the hotels, the regions of Japan that are uh, or counting on people spending a few days in Tokyo then wandering the mountains or the beaches of, of the hinterlands of Japan. Uh, the, the damage, economic damage, will be widespread all across Japan. Finance Minister Taro Aso even went so far as to call coronavirus proof of an Olympic curse. Aso was born in 1940 when World War II extinguished Japan's Olympic flame. Tokyo was supposed to host the canceled 1940 Games. It would end up waiting 24 years. The 1964 Tokyo Olympics, Japan's reintroduction to the world, showcasing a miracle recovery, rising from the ashes of war. Today, a new war against a deadly virus, putting Japan's Olympic dreams on hold yet again. Not just Japan's dreams, but the dreams of athletes the world over as well. Many athletes who've used the UAE as exactly training Exactly that. Delighted to welcome our next guest on. And this is a man who has been there, seen it, done it all. James Ellington, a man who has represented Great Britain, the 2011 World Championships. He also competed at the London 2012 Olympics. He won silver medal in the 2014 Commonwealth Games. That was in the 4 by 100 metres. European Championships as well. And a man who had his eyes firmly set on representing his country over in Tokyo later this year. A man who calls Dubai home. It is James Ellington. I'm delighted to say that James joins us live on the line. A very good evening to you, James. Good evening. Thanks for having me on. No, don't be silly, James. Thank you for sparing the time to pop on our show. And these are unprecedented times, uncertain times, James, but even more so for an athlete who has, for the past four years put themselves through the mill, the ringer, to get themselves in physical and mental perfection in a lot of ways for Tokyo 2020. How have you taken the news in the past week or so that your dream will have to be on hold for another 12 months? Yeah, um, I mean, it's devastating that the Olympics has to be cancelled, well, it's postponed. Um, but first and foremost, the uh, priority is obviously pers- the, the uh, preservation of human life, um, and that comes before any kind of sporting event or financial kind of um, economic situation. Um, in terms of my training and me being prepared for this Olympics, um, it's kind of a it's a catch twenty two for me because 
my comeback year was obviously supposed to be this year um, and making it back for the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Um, but as you know, I've had some ups and downs with the injuries coming back from the, the, the crash three years ago. Um, so for me, actually, if I'm being totally honest and realistic, it is, it, it's, it's a positive for me because it gives me a bit more time to actually prepare my body um, to be that little bit more right than it would have been had it fell on the date it was supposed to be on. James, for those not familiar with your story, put us in the picture because it's, it's a remarkable feat in itself that you are even going to compete in the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, even if that is, of course, in 2021. Yeah. Talk, talk to us about what happened back in 2017 and just how much of a miracle it is that you are now preparing for the next Olympics. Yeah, well, at the end of 2016, after the, uh, the Rio Olympic Games, I had a, my most successful year to date, around sub-10 seconds, um, European Championship gold that year. Everything was going perfectly well. And sadly, on a 2017, Jan- January 2017, I was in a horrific um, motorcycle road traffic accident, um, breaking both my legs or breaking my ankle, breaking my right leg, my pelvis, um, multiple injuries um, to the point actually afterwards, the doctors and the specialists around me thought I wouldn't even be able to walk properly again, let alone run again. So since that devastating accident, I've just been geared towards making my um, comeback and getting back onto the track. And I actually managed to first compete again last year at the, the anniversary games in the London Stadium. Um, it wasn't a fast time that I ran, but I mean, to come back from where, I've, where, where I was, um, it, it's amazing. And kind of my ultimate goal um, I set myself was to come back and actually make it to an elite level again and compete at 2020 Olympics. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a long, tough, crazy journey over the last three years. Um, but for me, I've kind of I've kind of been in isolation for the last three years, really, anyway, in terms of my career. So kind of being locked down now and being quarantined um, due to the virus, um, it's almost like I've had preparation for that. So I, I try and take every positive out of every bad situation. You compete in a sport which is the most explosive, which is about pushing your body to the absolute limits, James. Uh, more than any other sport I can think of, in fact. What you're doing is compressed into, yeah. into just under 10 and just under 20 seconds, respectively. How do you push your body when you're also cognizant of the fact that you're coming back from this career-threatening injury and you're trying to tr- tread that very fine line between pushing yourself to the limit in order to get back to where you were, but also wary about being you know, respectful to your body? Of course. Of course. I mean, it's been very difficult because, like you said, it's, it's a super explosive, probably one of the most explosive sporting events you could actually take part in. Um, so coming back from these injuries and knowing when and where to push myself has been very difficult. And there's been times where I have gone to the track or gone into the gym and I've felt good that day and kind of pushed it a, a little bit more than I maybe I should have. And then I've paid the price and been on the sofa for a week. So it's been a constant balance between getting it right and trying to stay as healthy as possible. And at the same time, I'm aware that I can't push, push myself super hard. So I've been holding back a lot. Um, but I feel like my body is slowly, well, I mean, I'm over the worst of it. And I feel like I'm kind of near the, near the finish line in terms of um, the damage and the pain that I'm getting. So 
fingers crossed, I think, <laughs> I think I could be back still. You've said it, James, there, that uh, over the last three years since your accident, you have been ploughing a lone furrow that you have been. And again, it's perhaps a conversation for another day as to really delve into all of this. But British athletics have essentially dropped you, have they not? You have been, and you are a man on a mission to not only prove that people can overcome the the, the kind of situations and and experiences that you have gone through, both physically and mentally, in the the last three years, but equally, there's a point, a part of you that wants to prove an awful lot of people wrong at British Athletics because they've turned your back on you. Of course, yeah. I mean, uh, I I, I told you the story in person and that'll be uh, another whole conversation on yeah. the radio but I mean from from the year of the accident I was kind of left to my own devices within six to seven months of the crash um, which was obviously massively hugely disappointing for me because when you're with uh, a governing sporting governing body you, you believe you're in a team and you're you're in the ups and downs together um, so to kind of be left alone and no no aftercare no support was devastating for me um but you know, I just had to. I had to get on with it. I was like, you know what? I can't sit there and feel sorry for myself. Um, they don't care. Um, my friends and family care about me, and a few, a few of the teammates in the in the sport care about me. So I'm going to get up off my butt, and I'm going to do the best I can to get myself back. And if anything, that was kind of a, a, a massive motivation for me to come back as well. Almost a kind of like, okay, cool. You, you've written me off. You don't want to support me. Um, I'm going to make it back. And Obviously, with the story being how, how the story is, the public has been a massive support. Everybody's been rooting for me, journalists, everybody. And for British athletics not to get on board, it was just, yeah, it was it, it baffled me. James, I want to ask you, because we've just seen Justin Gatlin come out and say that at the age of 39, he believes he can compete mm-hmm. for gold at the Tokyo Olympics. Obviously, this will be the first Olympics not to have been blessed with, with Usain Bolt, and, and we know what a massive star yeah. he was in the world of sprinting. Sprinting, in uh, the 100 metre and the 200 metre specifically, in your opinion, mm. is it in rude health at the moment, or is there that little bit of a void that's been left by Usain's retirement? Yeah, I mean, there, there has been a little bit of a void that's been left by Usain's retirement, um, but I think it's a good thing. You know, He was so dominant when he was competing. Um, and, I mean, with the likes of Justin Gatlin being 39, I don't think, to be honest, it, it all depends on the person, you know. There's there's people that start training really young from 17, 18 years old, and by the time they're in their mid-20s, they're burned out. And there's other people that kind of start training later. I didn't start training full-time until I was 26 years old. Um, then I had a massive crash at 31. So really and truly, I've, I've had a solid five years of really putting my body through it. So I'm wow. still quite fresh, um, which gives me hope that once I can come back, I can actually go on for a couple of more years um, at, at a top level. If I can ask James, I mean, what does the announcement that the Olympic Games will be postponed 12 months, what does that do to you? And I'm prying a little bit here, but financially, mm. how do you go about sustaining and supporting yourself for the next 12 months, if that is even something you've given thought to? And I guess secondly, yeah. from a sporting standpoint, you've said that the 12 months will probably do you a lot of good, but how do you now mm-hmm. map out the next 12 months to ensure, once again, come July, August, whenever the 2021 mm-hmm. Olympic Games take place, that you're peaking to yeah. who, who knows maybe just maybe walk away with a medal alright so firstly for the financial side of things I think for the next 12 months financially I mean a lot of athletes we, we survive different, in different ways um, me I've kind of been supporting myself for the last well, few years um, my funding dried up and I've had luckily enough I've had help from 
from close family members and friends um, because obviously I can't go and work a full-time job if I want to try and come back and compete the Olympics. Um, and lucky enough, being back and forth between Dubai, um, it's a lot. It's a lot easier financially to to kind of survive. Um, so I get by on talks and doing kind of my my sprint training with uh, football players, and that keeps me going. Um, in terms of the competition in the next twelve months, well, that's kind of kind of that's going to throw everybody off because everybody was gearing towards this year's Olympics and the season is pretty much about to start. So I don't even know what's going to happen with the Diamond Leagues and all the other competitions that are supposed to be going on. But for me personally, I'm going to tick over, carry on mending my body for the next three to four months. Um, and actually, the way I look at it, again, trying to take the positives out of every negative situation, I'll get back into my winter training earlier than I usually would. So normally, October, November, I'd start back in conditioning, but I'm just going to be super conditioned going into next year. Um, and the way I look at it is I'll have an advantage training-wise. James, bless you, my man. Thank you for spending the 10 minutes to pop on again. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. We'd love to have you in our studios. Love to get you in and look a little bit more into how you overcame both the physical and those mental kind of demons. Because, I mean, my goodness, what you've went yeah. through, James, you're a testament to your family. Keep the, the hard work going and fingers crossed we'll see you on the start line. OK, it's going to be maybe 15, 16 months down the line, but I'll be rooting for you. And I know Robbie and Tom will be as well, but we'll get you on the show again Appreciate very soon. It, Thank you very much. Cheers, Appreciate it. You're listening to The Grill. More of the biggest sports stories now. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Right, we are coming up to 8 o'clock. You're listening to The Grill live on Dubai Eye 103.8. Uh, I've got Rob and Chrissy. Uh, Rob and Chrissy? Uh, Robbie and Chris uh, alongside me here in <laughs> you studio. You can call me Chrissy if you wish, <laughs> Thank you very much, Steve. <laughs> Earth Hour point, in a minute. It is Earth Hour in a minute, mate, you know, so... Uh, we will, of course, be addressing that one in a few moments' time, uh, just at half past eight, imploring everyone uh, across the UAE to turn their lights out to do their bit for the planet. In the meantime, though, uh, we're looking back at uh, some of the uh, significant moments in sport on this day in years gone by. But before we do that, it's also a special day for a couple uh, of uh, sporting greats out there. Well, greats in somebody's eyes out there, at least. Uh, therefore, two sporting birthdays to be recognised today uh, for the boys. Uh, let's start with birthday number one. Robbie, I'm going to give this one to you, if that's all right. Okay. Uh, please, can you identify the birthday celebrant who's celebrating their birthday on March the 28th? It's on for us. If you could have one superpower? Uh, flying. If you could meet one other sports star? Probably Brian. If you could pick one city? Pick one city, uh, Paris. If you could watch one Wimbledon final in history? Uh, Roger against Rafa. If you could pick one emoji? One emoji? <laughs> uh, sunglasses. Okay. If you could watch one movie? One movie, Le Dîner de French movie. If you could pick one actor to play you in a movie? Uh, Denzel Washington, even if he doesn't look at all like me. Uh, he celebrates his birthday today, uh, born in 1985, 34 years young today. Who is that? I think that is Australian Open, French Open and US Open champion Stan Wawrinka. Well You'd done. be bang on the money. I was actually initially going to say Stefanos Tsitsipas, but then, yeah, you, it's, that, the it's that little French accent that makes you realise he's Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that is number one. Uh, what about number two? Is it going to be a toughie? Let's find out. Nothing's tough for Chris McCarty. He loves no. a challenge, doesn't he? Uh, so I we're on question of sport here. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is number two for you, my friend. Uh, I need you, please, to identify for me uh, this birthday. Uh, I'll tell you it's a boy anyway, because you're going to work that one out in no time whatsoever. Who is this? He didn't really need to convince me very, very hard because... I know the history of Aberdeen and how big a club it is, and I was just I jumped at the opportunity. You also know Derek and Tony from United, so you know the kind of guys yeah, they are uh, to work with. Well, Tony was my reserve coach at Dundee United when I was growing up, and uh, he was always kind to me, good to me, and helped me progress. And uh, Derek was the, the captain of Dundee United when I was 16, 17, and I uh, always, always had a lot of respect for him because he was always nice to the younger boys coming through the ranks. Little clue, it's not Stan Vavrinka, okay? No, it's not. It's a former Dundee United footballer who's signed for Aberdeen. Come on, Chris, this is meat and drink for you, surely? He was a young boy breaking through at Dundee United when Derek McInnes was there. Oh, you might have me here. And I think Derek's been at Aberdeen now for what, seven years. There's a lot of blooming ex Dundee United. Can we have players. another play, maybe? Can we give Chris another chance? We'll give him another chance for sure. And if anyone in the meantime knows who it is, then uh, feel can't. free. I refuse to believe that can stump Chris. No, I'll have to go through that. Here we go again. Uh, this is it. Celebrating a birthday today. He didn't really need to convince me very, very hard because I know the history of Aberdeen and how big a club it is. And I was just, I jumped at the opportunity. You also know Derek and Tony from United, so you know the kind of guys yeah, they are uh, to work with. Well, Tony was my reserve coach at Dundee United when I was growing up, and uh, he was always kind to me, good to me, and helped me progress. And uh, Derek was the, the captain of Dundee United when I was 16, 17, and I uh, always, always had a lot of respect for him because he was always nice to the younger boys coming through the ranks. This is killing so me. working top. out, there's some clues in there. Derek was the captain of Dundee yeah. United when he was 16, 17, so when was that? A long time ago is what Hang it was. Hang on a minute. He's 30 today. Oh, he's 30 today. I was going to go really rogue there. Oh, he's 30 today. So Willow Flood, who's Irish, but he's the only one I can think of, Dundee United in Aberdeen. He's 30 today. And he joined Aberdeen from Dundee United. Is he still at Aberdeen? No, he's not. He was at Dundee until 2011. Then he went over to Aberdeen. Well, in fact, he played for a couple of other... Played for Wraith Rovers, Blackburn Rovers. Is he currently playing in the Premier League? On loan to the Palace. Nowhere near the Premier League at the moment. He's playing... He's currently playing (laughs) playing his trade at Clyde, of all places. I know who it is. I know exactly who it is. Do you? Yeah, now I do. He's been in an awful lot of trouble with the law as well. Is it David Goodwill? It is, mate. Well done, (laughs) you. That is the most <laughs> obscure whose birthday is it anyway I've ever heard in my life. Now, you may as well have done the local Aberdeen postman. <laughs> I tried to find the local Aberdeen postman. That was the only way I could stump him. The only way I could stump him. Oh, you actually stumped Chris McCarty. I saw the look on his face when there was a brief flash of, hang on a minute, I don't actually know who this is. Steve Horror. Good Willie. Is he only 30s? Blackpool as well. Yeah. Black Ross County. Yeah. Yeah, oh, Plymouth Argyle. Plymouth. Yeah, he's, he's kind of... He's, yeah, he's been in a lot of trouble. Has David, good player on his day. I, I should actually know that. My mate played with him. Fine player. <laughs> Was on the periphery of the Scotland national squad for a while. Currently and, tearing uh, it up for Clyde. He's banging them in for Clyde, actually. Is it, is he it? actually is. He's a good player. Too good for that level. But thanks for that, Tom. Not <laughs> at all. We've got one more for you in just <laughs> a little while. Three time Grand Slam champion, Chris gets David Goodwin. <laughs> 
the, the first and only time that Stanford Brinker and David Goodwillie get mentioned in the same You're probably thinking, shall I make it obscure? No, I better, better, better give him a softball. No, it's got nothing to do with that. Don't take it the wrong way, uh, Rob. It's just then again, no, I did get Fred Funk. Funk it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just the fact that no one celebrates their birthday, or, 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 sports-wise, that <laughs> yeah. is. Because the only other one I could find was Lady Gaga, but I can't, I'm not sure what sport she plays. Vince uh, Vaughn as well, apparently. Uh, yeah, uh, he's forty nine today. Vince Vaughn, he's in good nick. <laughs> he's in very good nick. Uh, listen, keep your thoughts coming in four zero zero one. You're listening to Dubai I one hundred three point eight. We are into our final hour of broadcast, a significant hour as well. We continue bringing you up to date with all the latest news in the fight against COVID nineteen and the coronavirus. Plus. It is an hour of reflection because at half past, we're going to be turning the lights out, asking you to turn the lights out because it is time for Earth Hour at 8.30. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcast at DubaiEye1038.com.